Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Lopes on Movies. We are finally back after our two-week hiatus while I was off playing every Beatles song for, uh, you know, Beatlefest. It was a great yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it was a great time. It was good. Hey, Connor, how you doing? I'm doing well, Joey. Beatles Fest was a huge success. Like yes, last it was. Year. Yes, it was. But uh, I, I will say, I missed, I missed the show. Uh, you know, because I, there, there's been some interesting developments in, uh, in film while we were gone. So I'm, I'm glad to be back, and yes. we can finally talk about them. Which, of course, the, the biggest one is uh, everybody would know. If, if you're if you're a movie person, then obviously every time Quentin Tarantino releases a movie, whether or not that's a thing that you appreciate, it definitely you know will definitely oh, yeah, raise well, a few eyebrows. I uh, wait, so. Joey. Well, I thought this was. I thought we were going to be talking about the Lion King. Uh, no, 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 no. No, we're not going to do that. Oh. I mean, unless you just want this episode to be very, you know, very upsetting and negative. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, I guess we'll get to that a little bit later anyway. <laughs> oh, man. But let's talk about something that actually brings us joy. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the, the new Quentin Tarantino film. Uh, Connor, how about you give us a synopsis of this beautiful new film? Okay, absolutely. So this is from IMDb. A faded television actor and his stunt double strive to achieve fame and success in the film industry during the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969 Los Angeles. This is the ninth film directed and written by Quentin Tarantino and stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie in leading roles. Joey, remember movie stars? Yeah, man. Can you believe this? Like, I can't. So, so uh, the 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 theme of this episode is going to be a little bit twofold. I think one we're going to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I think both of us and Kyle, by the way, Kyle can't be here on the episode because he's he's away doing something today. But he wanted us to know, or wanted everybody to know that he liked the film. Um, but both of us really liked it. Um, but my my kind of takeaway after I left the theaters, I, I thought that I really really loved it, but I wasn't sure if that was because it was a truly great movie. Or if it's just because it's a real movie, and that feels like such a novelty these days, you know, it's not like so every every you know movie that we've reviewed on this show, save for like I don't know Godzilla, King of the Monsters, has been like you know quote unquote a real movie. But this is the the first movie I've seen in a while that feels so distinct and like like a very rich piece of art that is worth engaging with and thinking about in a serious way, which is what got me into movies in the first place way right. back in high school when I was so in, like into film and would, you know, seek out directors and want to watch everything that they ever made and, and just engage with their body of work. This is the first time in forever that I've seen a movie in theaters that reminded me of that feeling, regardless of whether or not it's a great film. And I mean, my gut is telling me that it is. It, it the the fact that it had that effect on me, that it reminded me of what it was like to fall in love with movies in the first place and want to watch them. Yes, it, it's it's fascinating to me that that feeling has it, it's been so long since I've had that from a new movie, and the the writing is on the wall that that feeling will continue to diminish as the years go on. Right. I mean, it doesn't help that this movie is. It pretty much came out the same time as Lion King, which is the polar mm -hmm. opposite of this film. 
Yeah, the Lion King just... is like indicative of all of the worst possible trends in yes. Hollywood. Remaking something in a creatively bankrupt and disgusting way. Um, just trying to bank on something that had already been done before, released by the Disney Corporation. I mean, it's got pretty much everything that can possibly be terrible in in one production. But of course, it makes you know about about five bazillion dollars, and you know it doesn't doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like the, the this is what cinema is now. It's not Quentin Tarantino. He's like it's funny that this movie is kind of about like an aging and trying to relive the glory days almost or remember your how you used to be because it feels like this is almost like a eulogy for the art of filmmaking because it's going away and it's it's rapidly rapidly going away yes so all right again yeah this is watching something like this just it, it made me nostalgic for a time when movies were movies yeah i agree now let's let's get into it to, to sure. like actually you know explain how, what we mean by that so okay the, the, the basic idea of this this film we're gonna follow three main characters through roughly two days of their lives okay so the first main character rick dalton is played by leonardo dicaprio he is an aging tv star who fears that he's sort of become a has-been um around this period in hollywood history there was this big transition from the old kind of leading men types for like the john wayne types to more like younger, scruffier, like hippie types, kind of like typified by movies like Easy Rider. Um, and what was kind of happening a lot was you would have these TV actors that would somehow be able to make the the transition to film, which was at that time considered a more prestigious and like, you know, a better place to be for your career if you're a film star versus a TV star. So Rick Dalton's one of those people who was never able to make that transition. He remained a TV star and he's feared that his time has kind of come. So we follow him mainly through his performance on as a guest star on a TV episode. He's sort of playing the villain of the week. Um, so Brad Pitt plays Rick Dalton's stunt double, um, Cliff Booth, who is basically just kind of Dalton's guy. It's kind of the, the best way I can describe it. Um, right. He he's his right hand man. He just he does things for him, and you know Dalton pays him. But they're basically like as tight as two men can be. Like the, the movie describes a relationship as more than a brother, but less than a wife. So they're, you know, they're, they're, it's very, very close relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's also like, he's like the strong man. Like he, yeah. he's totally, he is uh, totally with it, knows what, what's going on. And, mm-hmm. and Rick Dalton, who is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is like kind of, he's living nothing in but self doubt at this point. Yes. He, yes. he, he's, he's like coming to grips with the fact that he knows that he's becoming a has been and he thinks that yes. his, his life is almost over at this mm-hmm. point. And then you have Cliff who's Brad Pitt's character. Who's just trying to bring him up. Like, mm-hmm. come on, man, you're Rick Dalton. You can do yes. this. You exactly. can do this, man. Exactly. Come on. Because he also knows that he needs him to work so that he actually can get <laughs> jobs, you know, so as it's a true, man. but it's a surprisingly yeah. moving central relationship it, just between those two in a very like, amazing. subtle and, and, in an amusing way um, yes anyway lastly so you uh, we have and margot maybe most robbie. importantly perhaps most importantly we have margot robbie playing sharon tate who was the actress that was infamously murdered by the manson family at the tail end of the 60s um which th- that whole event is sort of this it, it almost signaled the end of the optimism of the 60s and like the whole idea of peace and love and like the, the whole hippie culture and everything like that um so that that event kind of casts a, a shadow over the entire movie where if you're aware of it, because obviously there's going to be a lot of young people that see this that might not even know what that 
that was a thing. I think they're right. going to be and very we'll, confused. And we'll get, in, we'll get into um, that. But it's, it's a crucial bit of historical context that informs pretty much everything that's going on in the movie. Even though the storylines that we follow with Rick Dalton, Cliff Booth, and Sharon Tate are all completely separate until the very end of the movie where they kind of converge. Um, so those are the three main characters, and that's sort of the gist of the movie. And like I said, we're basically just following them through one or two days of their lives and what kind of happens during those two days until they eventually, all the stories converge at the end of one night. Um, right. So really like the core of the movie is this idea of like the two different generations, the, the one generation representing or represented by um, uh, Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth and the other generation represented by Sharon Tate and how, you know, Rick Dalton and his generation is sort of on the way out and Sharon Tate's generation is sort of on the way up. And the way the movie kind of reconciles those two different ideas and two different periods of history and trend this period of transition is through this horrific manson family event that will obviously be playing a major factor at some point in the film um so that's that's yes. sort of the basic gist um so but, Connor, i guess any, it, yeah. yeah yeah and i guess it's also a good point to, to mention that so rick dalton and cliff booth is almost completely separate from sharon tate's story throughout yeah. the entire film until yeah. the very end like almost yeah. completely separate yeah and you all and like you were saying before if if you're not familiar with with the sharon tate murder by the manson family which i only had a passing knowledge of it's not going to be the same experience but i don't think it's going to be i don't think it ruins it for you there's mm-hmm. the critics are saying that uh if you don't understand what happened to sharon tate then you're not going to get what's going on in this and it even so, they're even they almost add, act as though Sharon Tate's inclusion in the film was not was not warranted, or it feels kind of mm-hmm. like thrown in. Yeah, I've his, seen a lot of that because it's almost so separate, like yeah. from because you for you know the majority of the film we're, we're following you know Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt mm-hmm. and and what what they're doing on these two days. It's kind of it kind of feels like a and Karen Tarantino has described these kind of films before, like like a hangout kind of movie where you're just mm-hmm. kind of with these characters going through mm-hmm. their their day to day you know interactions or what they're what they're going through on a particular you know afternoon driving around. Like there's there's literal there's there's long stretches where it's just Brad Pitt in a car driving around and it's great. Oh, it's great. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Oh, it's, he, it's so good. Tar- this is clearly such like a you know it sounds cliche but it's like it really is like a love letter to old hollywood that mm-hmm. tarantino grew up with i know he was very young when but he has this like this photographic memory of what hollywood was like to him when he was mm-hmm. growing up because he's from he, you know he lived in los angeles he's yeah. he knows uh like it's ingrained in his soul and he, there's yeah. like a the whole film is just a a longing for it to, to get back to that time like looking yeah. looking back on it fondly and you know when you get to the ending of the film it's almost like something he's done before where it kind of plays with history like in mm-hmm. inglorious bastards but it's different this time because mm-hmm. not every everybody knows what happened to hitler but mm-hmm. and the difference that that he you know the change for inglorious mm-hmm. bastards and the change yeah. that he does here which i'm not going to get into exactly but mm-hmm. it's yeah, almost what, 
it feels very fair. too much into right. spoilers like the, the movie is basically like it's a, kind of like a fantasy version of the events of that time period well it's it's a fairy tale this movie yeah, is called once in, upon in a, a time in hollywood yeah. and it feels yeah. like it it's amazing that it felt like a fairy tale to me at the end yeah of what yeah. he wishes this could have been what hollywood yeah, that, could have that's, been that's sort of what it what what you get it, there's there's a tremendous amount of warmth by the end of it in, in, a, in a kind of a subversive way because i mean this is a quentin tarantino movie like uh, i'm not going to pretend like that this is like some super op- like just beautiful optimistic and you know lovely film which it is but it's also you know horrifically violent at points and you know mm-hmm. very subversive and it has some thorny edges to it there's there's like for example like brad pitt's character he's extremely cool and collected and he has this kind of charisma that like you never see in movies these days but his character is not as simple as just like yeah he's just awesome and we love him i mean there's there's shades of gray to who he is on the first like there's there's a point in the movie where it's hinted at that he may or may not have killed his wife and (laughs) we never get an answer of whether or not he actually did we never know so there's this little bit of uh, you know a little a little bit of a a side to that that makes you have to step back a little bit from just being a hundred percent you know you have to you have to approach it with some distance but i love that kind of stuff i, I love mm-hmm. when a movie totally is just a hundred percent this is is this is the easy answers this is what it is you know you you have to think about it you have to kind of take it in take in everything and let that inform the way that you feel about it um but uh Anyway, the the point being that the end of the movie is is surprisingly warm and mm-hmm. in it's almost bittersweet because again, like without getting too much into spoilers, just knowing what actually happened in reality, both with the Sharon Tate murder scenario with the Manson family and just in terms of what Hollywood has turned into and what Hollywood used to be, in, like that disconnect between the reality and, and what the film posits is very bittersweet and despite the movie coming out on this complete level of optimism for the future like just knowing what actually what we're actually living with what what did happen is this it it creates this beautiful kind of melancholy to the end of the movie and it's 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 stuck mm -hmm. with me for since since we saw it oh it's still with me too i want to see it like right now once we're done this i want to go yeah i I mean the 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 initial thought that i've been having after after having what you know after after watching it was it it made me think and want to think about it more than any tarantino movie has since i first saw pulp fiction back in high school because that's another movie where it's there's so many layers to it if you're willing to kind of think about it and, and dig into it it just feels like a very vital movie and this this had the same feeling to me where it just made me want to think about it and it makes me want to see it again and just approach it from as many angles as i can uh yeah it's it's a a rich rich piece of work yes but i i mean clearly it's not for everyone because not everybody is totally down with this i know certainly not uh, like one thing i'll say too it's like this to me is a comedy before anything else also Oh yeah, this, there's there's a lot of very very funny moments. This is probably Tarantino's funniest movie, I would say. And he's always had like he's an amazing writer. He he the dialogue that he puts on the page that actors want to be in his films. No one says no to a Tarantino Tarantino movie. Mm-hmm. Like cuz they want to read his dialogue and this is the funniest one that I've seen mm-hmm. and they're all fairly funny. 
yeah but this to fun. me it's funny in like a human interest sort of way like just seeing how rick dalton kind of reacts to his his lot in life yes is is both like kind of funny in an amusing way but also in a relatable kind of way yes I, th- it is. I think we've we've all had feelings not unlike the feelings that rick dalton goes through many right times right in the movie. Yeah, and, and that, uh. so one i want to say also i don't i don't really like leonardo dicaprio i know that's like sacrilegious in if you like film sort of <laughs> but this is the greatest thing i think he's ever been in oh no doubt about it yeah i think I, he I, is i think rick dalton is a truly spectacular character and it, leonardo dicaprio plays him with this just absolute conviction it, it's it's a 100%, joy to behold 100 percent. it it's such a it feels like it came from his soul like this this is yeah. like the, the best thing he's ever done i think for sure for sure yeah oscar pick <laughs> yeah right <laughs> this is the one he yeah. should have won best actor for yeah not the revenant whatever whatever that movie was about i didn't no. see it i'm sure it was bad no um not <laughs> but uh in mean, brad pitt too i mean brad pitt is is the the old hollywood ideal of a yeah. leading man movie in the stars era. movie you know, stars movie stars you know and it's it's you, you think about how hollywood used to operate on the idea of movie stars where it wasn't what whatever the movie was about or whatever the movie was based on that made people want to go see it. It was about who was in it. You know, people followed people, basically. Um, yeah. So, like, I mean, back in, like, the way older times, you had, like, a Humphrey Bogart type of guy where, you know, he's been in so many different kinds of movies. People would go to see him just to see the Humphrey Bogart type. They wanted to see him in a movie, right? Right. Um, and that's how Hollywood used to operate until the... Yeah, I guess, Jimmy like, Jimmy Stewart. Anyone like there's there yeah Jimmy Stewart yeah there's no no for sure so many Rand, examples. Like, but yeah. in the in the modern era, we had those guys too. We had like Bruce Willis types. We had Arnold Schwarzenegger in the eighties. Um, we had Harrison Ford for a stretch. Harrison Ford. And Harrison then in the, Ford. the more modern yeah. era, we had people like Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. But those those guys like they alone don't sell movies anymore. Like the the biggest movies of forever are you know, you know like the lion king which you know they're they have like famous people in it but they, nobody cares that who's in it it's just it's because it's the lion king and they know what that is or you have these superhero movies that have these kind of charisma black holes of actors in them which mm-hmm. are it, it, not that they're like bad actors but like you know you watch a movie like this and you're like okay brad pitt or chris hemsworth it's like I, you could throw Chris Hemsworth in the dumpster. Like no, no. Like I, I, I could go never seeing Chris Hemsworth again for the rest of my life if it meant that we could get just three more movies with somebody as charismatic as Brad Pitt in them. Yeah, it's but, uh, it's interesting. alas, you know, yeah. we're we're at we're kind of at this tipping point where the people don't matter, the stars don't matter, the filmmakers don't matter. All that really matters is the brand, right? It doesn't matter who's playing Spider-Man anymore. As long as it's Spider-Man, I'm going to go see it, right? Well, not you, and, but... Well, not actually, me. Yeah, uh, not me either. Uh, me, me saying I for mass audiences. Oh, of course, yes, um, yes. How about how so, many stars are in this film, too? Like, the oh, my God, people it's huge. Who wanted, there were so many stars. There were stars cut out of the film who just didn't make it in. But the, just the list... Now it because it you know you have Leo you have Brad Pitt you have Margot Robbie you have you know Timothy Oliphant you know there's Dakota Fanning is in this yeah 
Bruce yeah. Dern, Luke Perry like, is in this. Yeah, Luke yeah, Perry's like last film. Roles. Small yeah. roles, but they yeah. They Damian all... Lewis is in this, playing Steve McQueen. Al Pacino's in this. Like, uh, come on. It's, it's because it's the kind of like people wanted to work with Quentin Tarantino because right. he's a person who's making challenging and interesting films. He's he's an artist. And I know that that's kind of a, a surprising thing to be in the modern film industry, but that's what Quentin Tarantino is. And again, like I think the, the, the key distinction here is not that there aren't art films being made, because there are. And I feel like... Yes, but they're not it, backed by studios. Right. It, it's really important that we, we clarify that the, the problem with Marvel and Disney is not the fact that they exist. It's the fact that their existence is basically suffocating the entire film industry and preventing artists like Tarantino from being successful because the only like, there's there's data that backs us up that the i like movies that are not based on existing franchises barely make any money so anymore like almost almost not at all compared to Disney which has this insane market share of of like theater revenue so you have audiences that only want to see these existing brands and that's a problem for the idea of film as just an art made by artists that are telling stories that they want to tell right it's it becomes more of a business and whenever the scales tip too far on the business side and too far away from the art side is when i get really cynical and that's sort of where we're at right now where the only movies that can get made by artists that want to tell stories like their own stories or stories written by somebody that isn't based on some existingly already famous property. The only like avenue for that is in very, very low budget filmmaking, which right. is why and you have like, to people nail like, it too. Right. Which is why people like uh, Ari Aster can make, you know, Midsummer, which is a horror movie because horror movies still make money regardless of, you know, how, how, how much, uh, whatever they're based on it doesn't matter but it's they're very low budget right and there's only certain kinds of movies you can make at such a low budget so that's why the only real innovation that's happening in in the film industry right now is pretty much in that low budget like horror movie area and that's disappointing because like the when you're so limited by what you're capable of doing because the big studios aren't going to back you unless you're making a franchise movie. Right. Like, yeah, there's, what, only, there's so few directors. The, right, there's, there's so few so directors that get do. this. Right, there's there's yeah. Tarantino who's left. There, Scorsese was left, and we'll get into him maybe a little bit. Well, Scorsese's where, barely left, because like, the only I know. people that would give him money is Netflix. Right, I know. Which I is mean, ridiculous. It, there's there's a few left that can actually make what they want to do. and But it's very few. Yeah. It's very, very That's few. That's why I really like... like uh, Damien Chazelle, I think, is one of both of our favorite filmmakers because he well, he's was, very lucky. He, that he is was so lucky able that because he, he is a very young guy, he was able to break through that uh, with 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 his success with Whiplash, which was made on with a fairly low budget, mm-hmm. and then from there he made La La Land, which was a, not More a huge hard. huge budget, but it's still a pretty big budget, and then you know that now allowed him to kind of navigate through to be able to you know be one of these guys who can get a big budget to make a film. But the the idea of a studio coming to some guy and saying, hey, we don't understand you, we don't understand what you're doing, but audiences are interested in whatever you're doing, here's a ton of money, do something. 
that used to be how it worked in in the 70s this was huge this was like that's i mean that's how star wars happened and star right. wars is sort of like almost what ruined the film industry in kind of a a funny way because it's a really great film but that's basically what it was like george lucas he had, he had made some some money from american graffiti people were interested in seeing movies from him and he came to fox and said i want to make a sci-fi fantasy adventure film and they're like okay here's a gazillion dollars go do it and it was it was that simple but they don't do that anymore now it's like they want to keep the artist out of the process because they want to minimize any kind of risk and audiences seem to be cool with that like it's it's almost like we've willingly given up the idea of the artist as filmmaker which some people would argue is a good thing. I, I would argue it's the, it's disgusting and basically makes film like completely negligible and forgettable. Yeah. And so it, it's this is this is why something like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood feels so urgent when <laughs> when you see it because it it's it's so rare to see this kind of thing in in a theater anymore, like a big budget film with stars that is trying to be something that isn't trying to be something for everybody but is just a very peculiar subversive thorny piece of work that you have to engage with and think about and that actually might mean something in your life like that's can, can you can you believe that a movie was released in 2019 that had that effect I, I, it, it blows um, my mind. Yeah, it blows I know. my that, mind. That, that, I mean, I think it's, it's fair to say that this is my favorite movie of the year, obviously, so far. And I can't yeah, imagine I mean, I'm going to like anything more than this. The, the only thing that has potential, I think, is Scorsese's The Irishman. Right, and that's the <laughs> most... Right, right. So then, I guess, you know, we're talking about Disney, the inevitable takeover, perhaps, of the film industry by Disney. Is there any hope, Joey? Like, do you think... I, I, I'm holding on to hope that The Irishman, which is... Uh, this movie that's coming out from Scorsese that's uh, direct to Netflix, but I think it's going to have a small like theater release too, but it's going to be on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's financed by Netflix. Mm-hmm. I think that this is like our last ditch effort, but like the last hope for film, you yeah, know, it kind of is. I mean, I, I hate to be so like pessimistic about the film industry, but it really truly has never been in a worse place. Like, And maybe that's kind of a, a, a ridiculous thing for somebody who's in his 20s to say like I, i've only been alive for a very brief period of film history so th- there's only so much i can say with any kind of authority but i i genuinely don't think that the landscape of film has ever been quite this artistically bankrupt and it's as somebody that really really loves film as a medium for storytelling and its potential to move people and mean something that's very very upsetting but again i mean who knows this this stuff comes in 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 ebbs and flows you know it's very possible that at some point people will get sick of being spoon-fed content from giant corporations but i mean i don't see any end in sight at least not yet and again, it's like I don't have any problem with the existence of a superhero movie. Like I, I, most of the Marvel movies that I've seen, I've liked well enough. It's just we're at this point where we have to draw a line in the sand and say, okay, this is a problem. 
The fact that these movies are literally suffocating the industry and preventing studios from doing anything but trying to make their own cinematic universes and creatively bankrupt franchises and basically leaving all of the artists out to dry, that's a problem. That's a very, very big problem. And just because these movies are like, you know, baseline competent and fun, I don't think that's enough to, to say like, oh, it's totally fine. You know, it's totally fine. Don't worry about it. They're still making good movies. They are, but man, we... <laughs> who knows for how much longer. Yeah. It's uh, it's very interesting. They got... It's a good thing we have these, these small studios, which are still, you know, giving smaller budgets, but something at least to these filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Like these $5 million budgets, like Blumhouse even, or what is it, A24? Yeah. That are still, you know, financing like filmmakers to make you know their own movie that's not totally studio driven it's uh, the future the the future i I don't know what the future has for for cinema but (laughs) anyway i think that's pretty much all the time we got it Uh, is but can we can we like try to lift it up a little bit now go see once upon a time in hollywood because it's a really really good movie yes it is 